Good morning. How is everybody today? <laughs> Heard a couple answers. Okay. Um, good morning to the chapel. I don't know where are the cameras. <laughs> Hi, down at the village. Just saying good morning to you. Welcome as well. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about Acts, but before we do, Troy is actually teaching in about, oh, four minutes, five, six minutes, I can add, subtract. Um, so I, I told him we'd pray for him. Should we do that really quick? Because he's at a fairgrounds, and he's going to teach, it's like eight or nine churches, and he just said it's different crowd than you guys, so he loves you guys. He's always like, ah, I miss home. So why don't we pray for him that he's effective? Um, Father God, we just uh, lift up Troy right now and ask that you speak through him to um, reach a crowd who's hungry for you. And so, Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on him, give him the words to say, take him out of the way, and that people would hear you, that people would come to know you, that maybe for the first time they find out what you're offering them as a free gift. And so we just lift him up to you, Father. You use him greatly. And then we also lift up this morning as we are here to worship you and learn more about you. In your name, amen. Okay, so we have been in a series called 10. And how many of you guys have been, um, actually, why don't I ask this? How many of you have not been here for any of the 10? I mean, no shame, I'm just asking. So then I'll explain it to you. Okay, good. I will, I will tell you about it. So we're doing a series, and what we did was we took the Bible as a whole, and we broke it into 10 sections. So we're doing it for 10 weeks, and we've broken it up. And you can go online, either through our app or through our website, and catch up to where we are now. And so you can get the notes, you can listen to the message if you want to, and it's kind of cool because we, we did it for a number of reasons. Let me just list those out for you since Troy did these wonderful slides for me. Um, it was one, to remove the intimidation. We really want you to crack open your Bible um, and read. I was telling the first service that um, we want you to read, write in your Bibles. There's nothing sacred about the actual paper. But it is the inspired word of God. And what's cool about that is that every time you read something, I really believe God's going to speak through it. And so you might write something down, like I have something written about a passage in here, and it just says peace and unity will be how people will know we know we have God in us. Well, and then I date it so, so that I know, oh, that was back when I lived in this place. And, you know, and so I read different passages and I write in it. And I just so encourage you. As a matter of fact, I have a big old coffee stain in here that wrinkled all my pages in the back. And so anyway, I'm telling you, pick up your Bible. And that's why we did this. The other reason was just to rekindle your engagement. Maybe you hear something or you might hear a story. You might say, oh, I've never read that book. For instance, um, Mike, was that last week that he ate, or two weeks ago, he ate uh, locusts um, for us. So if you want to see that, you can go back and look at that. But it was about the book of Joel, which actually, I don't remember ever reading the book of Joel. And so it, it made me be interested in it. I remember picking up and reading it. So we're hoping that's what this series does for you. And lastly, that you realize the bigger story, that it's not just 66 books, well, that's hard to say, um, <laughs> with um, all different stories, that they all fit together. And that God gave us this book in order to give us a story about him running after you, his love for you, that he desires for you to know him. And so he gives us this book 
and in order for us to find him and know him and be more like him. And so that's kind of cool. So that's why we did this series. So right now, um, we are in the book of Acts. And I'm just going to show you really quick where Acts falls chronologically. Because our Bibles, if you open it and read it cover to cover the way it's laid out right now, doesn't fall chronologically. And so as you'll see here, the Gospels were written, which is all about Jesus being on earth. And then following that is Acts, which is the history of our church. And not our church, church, but of the church, the bigger C church. And so in that, there's all kinds of missions that Paul does, and he ends up writing letters to these young churches. And so you might have read maybe in Galatians or James or Thessalonians. And so you can see here how his different missions, um, he wrote different letters. And so we'll cover those in the coming weeks. Those are still to come. And then, of course, the final books of the Bible, which are written by different authors. And so it's kind of cool to see where they all fall. And you can um, tell that in the beginning, Galatians was one of the first books that he wrote while during Acts. So if you read Acts, you can say, oh, I didn't realize that Paul wrote this book, which is kind of cool. All right, so we are um, in Acts, as I said, and one of the key verses of Acts, which I'm sure you've heard of this verse if you've read any of the Bible or been in church quite a bit, it says, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and that's actually Jesus who says that, and he says it to his disciples, and he's promising the Holy Spirit. And so Acts is all about the acts of the Holy Spirit in the church. And so, whoops, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. Sometimes when you say that, people get a little freaked out by that, like, ooh, mysterious. And it's really not. I mean, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. There's, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so it's really fun to talk about that. I'm actually very excited. So you take out your blue cards if you have it. For those of you that this is your first week to be doing this, we've been giving cards on the chairs in color so that you can stick it in your Bible in the section that we're talking about. So when we get done today, you can stick this blue card in Acts. So if you go back, you can see them. Um, so unfortunately, it's actually week seven. And try, we couldn't fix that because Troy did this for me. Um, but if you can write a seven, sorry, not the eight, I apologize. And then three boxes. And the reason why we do three boxes is because Acts actually is a big book. I think there's 28 chapters, and we broke it into three sections. So if you could put three boxes in a line, that would be great. So write Acts of the Holy Spirit across the top. And then also write Launching the Church. And living hope, which living hope is the Holy Spirit. He's living and active, and he brings hope with what he br the message he brings. And Acts 1.8. So our first section is about the church being established. So it's Acts 1 through 7, if you want to write that. And then the things under that um, that we pulled out in this first section is that the setting is the link between Christ's life and the life of the church. So if you started reading in Acts 1, you can see that Jesus is still on the scene. 
He died, he rose again, he walked the earth and appeared to several people over 40 days, those first 40 days after he rises from the dead. And that brings us up into Acts. And so Acts is kind of that link between Jesus and then the life of the church. The author is Luke. He is the only Gentile author in the Bible. I think Troy mentioned that last week. So he wrote Luke and then he also wrote Acts. It's also the birth and growth of the church. Um, and it is in Jerusalem. So this first section is focused on like local missions. So it's talking about reaching Jerusalem. So it's the first part of that verse where it says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So this first section is about Jerusalem. The last point on there says disciples to apostles. So disciples were followers of Jesus. And now when he leaves, they become apostles, which an apostle actually means um, missionary or proclaiming or carrying the Christian message out, anybody that would do that. And so that would be an apostle. So now that's why we say the apostle Peter, the apostle Paul. So they become apostles because now they're not only following, but they're carrying the message out. So then the story I attached to that, and I picked three stories today about the Holy Spirit's act in people's lives. And so out of all of Acts, I picked three stories. So I'm excited about these stories. They're probably my favorite in Acts. So we're going to look at those. But before we look at Acts 2, 1 through 11, um, this is a transition from Jesus to the Holy Spirit. And what is going on is the Pentecost. So the Pentecost is actually a celebration that started when they got the Ten Commandments. Now, when they came down from the mountain, and that became a celebration about the Ten Commandments, which is kind of cool because you think of the law was given to them many, many years ago. Then Jesus dies on the cross, remember, and he does away with that's the way to God because he becomes the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so what happens here is Pentecost is a celebration that happens 50 days after Passover, and so Jesus dies, Passover, and 40 days he leaves. And then Pentecost is 10 days later. But he says to the disciples, listen, don't leave Jerusalem because wait, I have a gift for you. And when you hear you have a gift, right, you wait around. Like we had some gifts that were showing up in our mail recently, and we were like on it waiting for that box to show up at our house. Every day we come and be like, is there a box at the door? And we'd all be checking. So, you know, and you know there's a gift. I love that Jesus calls it. There's a gift waiting for you, which is so cool. So he tells him, don't leave. In a few days, you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So the way I kind of look at it is, like, God walked on the earth um, in the garden, right? He actually walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And then sin happened, and so God, it broke the relationship with God, and he no longer walked in the garden with them. But then he sends Jesus down, and Jesus takes the baton like, it's my turn. And so he walks on the earth for 33 years and walks with his creation. How cool is that? Troy talked about that last week, so if you missed that, that was a great message. So just talking about Jesus actually physically being here. And then he leaves and he kind of says, in my mind, it, to the Holy Spirit, it, now your turn. 
and he hands the baton off. But the Holy Spirit does not walk on the earth beside us. He actually walks on the earth in us. And he says, I will now dwell in my people. So I love that picture. And so here we are at Pentecost, and this is where the baton gets handed off. So let's look at that. It says in Acts 2, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. where they were sitting. Did that freak anybody out? <laughs> Sometimes when we read the Bible, I think we think, oh, well, that was the Bible that didn't really, wasn't really real. But it was real. So when you start to really think about what that was like, it would be like if we were sitting in this room and I was talking just like that, and this wind comes in, and it was the Holy Spirit. Is that not cool? Okay, then the next part's really going to freak you out. Filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Don't worry, I have no way to have tongues of fire come down. I, I couldn't figure that one out. I'm like, huh, Troy might kill me. Um, that separated and came to rest on each of them. It's okay to think about what that would have been like. Sometimes I think we're afraid to think of things that might freak us out. Honestly, it's God. He's so cool, and he just wants to, he wants them to know, listen, this isn't like a little thing I'm handing to you. This, I, this is my Holy Spirit. This is part of me. I want to be a part of your life. So he comes down. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Because it was Pentecost, they were there to celebrate. And they happened to all be there. And when they heard the sound of the wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these guys Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own tongue? Is that not cool? Can you imagine? I mean, it would be just... Um, amazing. It would be like uh, being at the United Nations and then having somebody speak and everyone understands them uh, without the headset thingies. And this is what they heard. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. It wasn't for their glory. It was for the glory of God. So that was Pentecost. That was the baton being handed off. That was the Holy Spirit coming and being a part of. And now that launches the church. So what do we learn about God by reading that? That the Holy Spirit is actually not in our control. We don't get to choose what the Holy Spirit will do. The power of the Holy Spirit is God. And when you know that and you recognize that and you respect that, there's something different about that. Like how does that change you? God wants to definitely invade your life like that. There was a woman that came in the office. I don't think she'll mind that I share this. I won't share her name. She came in our office 
sat down with me and said, um, I gotta tell you a story. I was at the service where Troy talked about the fishes and loaves, and he said, just, God's just asking you to bring what you have. And she said, okay. And she went and sat in her seat and prayed, said, God, whatever it is, um, I'll bring it. So she went shopping that afternoon and went to a local store and tried on a coat and put her hand in the pocket and pulled out a giant wad of cash. In my mind, I would have spent that money the second I saw it. <laughs> and instead, she went to the manager, went through the process of, they said, well, in 30 days, if no one claims it's yours. And she knew at that moment she was supposed to give it to the care center, all of it. It was over $2,000. Okay, I think that was the Holy Spirit moving in someone's life. So she showed up in my office 30 days later and handed it to me and said, I am supposed to do this. That is not human. <laughs> and what I mean by that, that is the Holy Spirit speaking. That's where you let go of control and you say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I'm not in control. I want you to be in control. I can't decide what you're going to do in my life. You are in control. Pretty cool. All right, let's look at the second section and the second story before I keep rambling on. Acts 8, 8 through 12, it's the chapters 8 through 12, and this is where the church becomes enlarged um, to Judea and Samaria. So if it was local before, now it's national. So it's across the nation, we'll say. And it's about multiplying the church. Here, hang on a second, I want to catch up here. And the main leader was actually Peter, the Apostle Peter, so you can write that down, and the scope was national, as you can see. So the story I picked for this one, um, this is the second story in Acts that I love, and this is a story about Stephen. How many of you guys know who Stephen is? And if you don't, it's okay. Yeah, this, he's so cool. I really love the story. So Stephen was actually known by those around him to be full of the Holy Spirit, um, and full of wisdom. He was actually one of seven men that they chose to overlook the distribution of food. So basically, I kind of look at him as a food pantry coordinator, which is so cool because we're going to have a food pantry here, which is fun. So he was defending his faith when some Jews started to accuse him. So it it's, might be confusing to you to have Jews actually accuse him of defending the faith, but the Jews back then, if they were not followers of Jesus, really believed that you were teaching heresy, that you were trying to pull people away from the thousands of years of, of tradition and laws and listening to their authority. And now it's all changed. And Jesus is saying, you don't need all that. I am now the answer. And so if somebody talked about that, um, they were very angry. So he finds himself in front of the Sanhedrin, or the, the head of all the Jews at that time. And they hear the false charges, and then they turn and look at Stephen, and there's actually a verse that says, and Stephen's face was shining like an angel, as bright as an angel. Tell me that's not the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit just shines through this guy physically. His face is like an angel. 
and they ask if the, the accusations are true. And so Stephen goes through this whole dialogue just before verse 51, saying the whole story of the Israelites that goes all the way back to Abraham, comes up through Moses, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he gets really bold. He quotes a, a prophet, and then he gets bold and in their faces. And this is what he says. We'll pick up the story here. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Because remember, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was through prophets. Remember that? We talked about prophets in the, in the past few weeks. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him, talking about Jesus. You've received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. Again, whoa. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looks up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Wow, that had to be amazing. Look, he said. He's telling them. It would be like me seeing it and saying, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's inviting them into this experience he's having. And at this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. And they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So I want to look back at this just for a moment before we go on, because there's a little more to the story. When I think about Stephen being in this place of, they're really angry. I mean, they're not happy with him. And he looks up, and he sees heaven open. I think it's God's way of saying, look at me. Look at me. Don't worry about them. Look at me. Look at me. I, I am your savior. Nothing, nothing, I've conquered the, the world. Nothing can hurt you. They're going to stone him, but he's still saying, just look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. And I think there's so much comfort in that. Because a lot of times we look around and grasp for things when we're going through tough times and God's saying, just look at me. Also, notice at the feet of a young man named Saul, because Saul is what launches us into the church, which is so cool. So we'll get to that in a minute. That's the next story. Let's read the end of this. So while they are stoning him, while they were stoning him, like throwing stones to kill him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, and don't hold this sin against them. Who does that sound like? Do you remember who said that? Jesus. On the cross, he says that. How do you say that when someone's killing you and you say, would that come out of your mouth? Would that be the first thing you think of to say? Probably not. I don't think it would be what I would say. Not in my own power, but I think about the Holy Spirit he just calls him to look at him. Then he goes through this experience, and then he says, don't hold this against them. Like, they don't know yet. Just wait. We'll get to them. We'll share about you, and they'll change. They'll change. They'll change. It's this hope, living hope. And Saul approved of their killing him. 
What a... <laughs> no, when I say a great story, I mean a great story. Do you want to know why? Because I think Jesus says to us, I will bring comfort to you. So let's read the end of this. At that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house, and he dragged the men and women out of their homes and put them in prison. The Holy Spirit is the great comforter. How do I know that? I think there's times when I will look at someone and they will say to me, how are you doing? And of course, my first knee-jerk reaction is, good, good, fine, fine, doing good. You know, I mean, does anyone else relate to that? <laughs> yeah. But when I'm honest, it's almost as if they know, I can tell that they are being led by the Spirit. Have you ever had someone do that to you? Like say, how are you doing? And I think to myself, how did you know I needed you to say that to me? And then the, the interaction is so sweet and precious because I feel God comfort me through that person. Or maybe it's a song you hear, or maybe it's a song that God just puts into your mind that brings comfort. I think he does it in so many different ways. It says in, um, in the scriptures, it does say that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, even when we don't know what to say. It says the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Isn't that beautiful? God didn't actually stop the stoning. Did you notice that in the story? That the stoning continued and he did die. And I think um, there's times when I, well, for sure, I can't think of any time that I thought, oh, that's okay, bring it on. Keep bringing it on, I'm, I'm fine. I think I always think, please get me out of this. I can't, I can't deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. This isn't fair. And instead, it's just such a perfect, beautiful picture of God saying, no, just look at me. I can comfort you in it. I might not take you out of it because out of it could come this whole growth, not only with you, but those around you. I think of my mom every time because I think, man, I didn't want my mom to die of cancer, but I think of how that affected our kids. There's 14 grandkids that I think were majorly affected by that, of course, and they loved my mom, and she was such a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit dwelling in her. We didn't want her to pass away, but I remember three weeks before her sitting there and saying to our kids and to us, I am at peace, I am okay. I'm really okay. This is I've I've come to peace with this, and I'm all right. What a beautiful picture for our kids to experience. So the last section is actually kind of radical. So we'll look at that to be our last story. It's Acts 13 to 28. It's the last large chunk of chapters, and this is where God says, "Take the." Um, take the gospel and bring it out to all the ends of the earth. And so this is where the Apostle Paul comes in, and we'll read about him in a minute, but this is Gentile evangelism. So back then, Jews didn't interact with Gentiles, but at some point, God does show them that it's okay to share this with 
everyone. And that's where we come in, which is really cool. So Gentile evangelism. So let's look at this uh, story. And the story's in Acts 9, 1 through 20. But before we look at it really quick, I'm going to give you a couple of points. Um, Saul was one of the most feared persecutors of the Christian faith. He was Jewish, and he really believed that people were teaching heresy. And so he really, truly, in his heart, felt like he was doing the absolute right thing. And so he was going to try to rid them, rid the Jewish culture of these Christians. And so he is just very feared. He's, he's like a terrorist. Um, he dragged men and women out of their homes, threw them into prison. And then we're going to pick up in the passage here in Acts 9. So it says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he asked the high priest for letters. It gave him permission to pull these people that were part of the way out of their homes and throw them into prison. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Lord, Saul asked, well, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting, he said. Now get up, go in the city, and you will be told what you must do. So the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless because they heard the voice, but they couldn't see anyone. They heard him say, you know, who he was, that I'm Jesus, and go to the city, but they couldn't see him, which is just freaky. I mean, think about that. If you heard a voice from out of have you ever been in the house alone? Last night I was in the house alone, and I swear I heard something out right by our patio door, and I remember looking over like, am I going to see someone? No, of course, there was no one there. It was probably a squirrel, but it freaked me out. And so then when I think about that, I think, oh, my goodness. You know, like that would be weird to hear the voice and not see anyone. Anyway, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see, he was actually blind, couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. The three days was no mistake. I just think it's so cool that it was three days that God decided to have him be blind and not be able to see, because, you know, that's like Jesus. So, in Damascus, there is a disciple named Ananias. This is such an awesome story. The Lord called him in a vision. He says, Ananias, of course, he can't see anybody. Yes, Lord, he says. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on State Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So, in a vision, he has seen a man, he's seen you, named Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And then Ananias is like, uh, I think that's the guy that's been killing everybody. So I don't think I want to do that, is really what he's saying. That's what I would have said, too. Like, are you sure? I, I mean, this is the guy that's been taking all my friends, throwing them into prison. And he even has the authority of the chief priest. So I don't think I'm going to go. But the Lord said to Ananias, you go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Isn't that cool? Most unlikely person. Most unlikely. Think of the worst person and then think God's going to change him and they will proclaim and win people over to Christ. You just don't see it. It's so cool. And their kings and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then he went to the house, went in, placed his hands on Saul, said, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up, baptized, and after eating some food, he regained his strength. So Saul spent several days with those disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is the great transformer. What a great promise. That's what I see in that story. You might think there's no way that God can invade my life. You don't know me. You don't know the things I think and do and say. As a matter of fact, I just talked to someone last week that said those very words to me. Nah, Trish, you don't really know me. You don't really know what I'm like. And I think, yeah, but God does. And he says, I will transform you, which is such a wonderful, wonderful promise. What is keeping you from being transformed? That would probably be the question I'd ask. Is it sin? Or is it stubbornness? Or is it that you feel self-sufficient or maybe prideful? No way am I going to let him in my life. I can run this better. Brennan Manning said, in my experience, self-hatred is the dominant malaise crippling Christians and stifling their growth in the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Self-hatred. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. So how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit in your life? I think people wonder that all the time, like, how do I know he's there? You know? Do you guys ever wonder that? I do. Sometimes I do. And I think that I want you to be, when you walk away today, first of all, I want you to know that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have said, I trust you, I believe in you, you can have control of my life, God says he promises the Holy Spirit as a gift to you. It's a deposit on your life. It's a total and complete deposit on your life, and he doesn't leave you. So you have the Holy Spirit in you if that is true about you. And it doesn't actually have to be this radical change. I hear people say that too, like, can't really put my finger on the day, uh, but I know he, I'm, I know who he is to me, and I know it. And so I feel like, Hey, it doesn't have to be fall on the ground, turn blind for three days, and then scales fall off your eyes. You don't have to have that. It's actually he lives in you. The thing I think about using for uh, an example is being a mom. So the day I had Lauren, who's our firstborn, she was 24 years ago, um, the day I had Lauren and they handed her to me, I became a mom. And... It, nothing can change that, you know. I, I changed from being uh, married, and but not being a mom. And then that day, I became a mom, and I knew I became a mom. And I knew I loved this child like no other. And then I had three more girls, so now we have four girls. And 
I remember last week sitting there with Allie. I sat in that chair with her, and I put my arm around Allie, and I was kind of rubbing her back and not thinking about it. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with that feeling of, oh my gosh, I love being a mom. I love this girl. Like, I love being with her, and I can't believe she's leaving in five weeks. I don't know what I'm going to do without her. I just love hanging out with her. And I feel like with the Holy Spirit, when I gave my life to Christ, and that deposit of the Holy Spirit came on me, it was done. I was marked. The Holy Spirit lived in me. I'm not always aware of him being in my life. And I think I do just ignore it. I think of times when I've come home as a mom and my girls are sitting at the counter. And for girls, there's a lot of talking that happens in our house. I just want you to know the volume level, the capacity. Poor Troy. He'll come out and sit for a little while, and then he goes in his office, and then he comes back out. And there are times when I come home, and I'm like, I am done. I have got to turn you guys off. I can't take any more. Click. You know, I turn the news on, and I'm missing the opportunity to connect with my kids. Doesn't mean I'm not a mom. Doesn't mean I don't have four kids. It means I am unaware or I am choosing not to live in that. Does that make sense? So I feel like that's the best way for me to see the Holy Spirit in my life. I think there's times when I ignore it or don't see what I have in front of me. Doesn't mean being a mom is easy. It's hard sometimes. It's really hard. And I want to check out. As a matter of fact, there's times I want to give them away. And, but I know that's like my faith, too. Sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes I don't want to follow after Christ. I just want to give in and be who I want to be and say, whatever. You know, those feelings? Like, I'm just going to follow my own whatever. And I feel like... To me, God comes back and whispers, you're mine. You're mine. And I have great things planned with you. And I come back to it. You know, when we think about the Holy Spirit in our lives, too, it's hard for us sometimes to see him active in our life. And so it talks in Ephesians about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit is the love, joy, peace, patience. You know, at the band, you guys can come up. I'm just about done here. Um... I feel like those are your gauges. If we had gauges on our lives, that it's hard for me to see that I have love, joy, peace, patience, or that that's improving in my life. That's why I have all of you. That's why I'm hoping as the Holy Spirit lives in you, it lives in Kim and Sherry and Bernie and Wendy, that as the Holy Spirit lives in you and you look at me, that you're honest with me and you say, I don't see that, or I see that, I see that change in you. And I feel like those are some of those gauges that if you really wanna look and see, am I living out the fruits of the Spirit? Um, what does that look like in you? Ask somebody, start to ask, start to pursue some of those things. It's not something you can manufacture, it's actually the Holy Spirit in your life. So as the band comes up here, we're going to do a little bit of a different response time. We're not going to do any communion. Um, we are just going to worship together. 
and invite the Holy Spirit to be very evident in the room here. And sometimes I get asked, how come I don't feel the Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you just a couple of things that I think keep us from it. And so that while we're, we're singing and worshiping this morning, that you can start to think, okay, is this what I'm really struggling with? So two things that I think keep us from being aware of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One is fear. I think there's a lot of fear wrapped up in, oh, no, it's a spirit and it's weird. But don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit is a being. It is not something strange. It is God coming down to live in us because he loves you. He loves you deeply. He desires to know you. He desires for you to know him. He desires for you to live in that. So if fear is the thing that you're fighting, I'm asking you to just name that, write it down in your card, and begin to ask God to take away that fear. I think the second thing that kind of leads with that is control. Some of us are control freaks, which is me, and I don't like to be out of control. Uh, my son-in-law, I shared this at the first service, is um, a tax guy, and he got a job with a big firm in L.A., and Anyway, when they were dating, Garrett, who I just love, he's darling, he's just like the golden child in our family right now, and he has a 10-year plan for his life, and Lauren was supposed to fit in year eight, but then he fell in love with her, and he married her, and so that was like year, year and a half or so, you know, so um, that whole 10-year plan has gotten blown up, and so I love watching that, because to me, what a great picture of how we have this plan and God is just saying, hey, I can't wait for Tuesday at 3 when you have that little sliver opening in your calendar. I want to invade your life fully. So when I look at my calendar, I'm, this next week is crazy, and I think, man, i got to carve out that time. i got to let go and let God really be in control of my life. So that's what you struggle with. I want you to be praying through that while we sing. The last thing would just be trust. Do you trust that God has his best, your best intentions in mind? That he loves you, that he may allow things to come into your life, but he, he just like Stephen is saying, look at me. Look up at me. Just look up at me. It's okay. Look up at me. Brenda, look up at me. That's what he's saying to you. So I feel like those are the things you're struggling with that God is calling out your name. So during this time of singing, it's your choice to enter into worship. You get to decide if you want to let go and allow the Holy Spirit to breathe through you. He, he, it says in, in the scriptures, it talks about being the breath of God is the Spirit of God. So you can stand, you can sit, you can raise your hands, you can not raise your hands, you can kneel, you can do whatever you want. Whatever you feel the Spirit leading you to do this morning. So, Michael, why don't you lead us? I'm going to stay up here, and I might encourage you through worship, but you can do what you would like. <laughs> <laughs> 